0: This morning, if you can do me a huge favor, and open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter twenty. Acts chapter twenty. We are actually finishing up our sermon series called "Not a Fan," and we've been doing it now for six weeks, and uh, we are going to wrap up. And today's question, today's question is: Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Now, each and every single one of us in here are different. Uh, Some people are dog people. Are you a dog person? Raise your hand. Absolutely a dog person. Anybody in here a cat person? All right. There should be a special side of the room for you all. Um, uh, Ford people. Any Ford people in here? Raise your hand. Okay. Chevy people. Um, Some people in here, you guys are really like me and you really like sports. Any sports people in here just really get into sports? And then you have your artistes and, uh, and such, okay? Okay. And, you know, each of us have a favorite team. Any, any Cowboys fans in here? couple of you? A couple of you? Any Broncos fans in here? Well, that was limited. I, I was just, It's okay for us to respond with some enthusiasm because if somebody said, hey, is there any Packers fans in here? I'd be like, oh, yeah, 7-0, baby, going into the bye week. That's what I'd be doing, but you guys are like, eh. You know, but that's okay. It's okay. We're going to work on that, okay? There's one thing, there's one thing. We had, uh, we had a friend in town last week, and, uh, and, I, and, and they were a part of a church plant for a long time. And I said, hey, tell me, tell me what you thought about, about the service. And they, they kind of looked at me and smiled, and, and I was like, okay, that's, that's a weird smile you got going on there. And I said, I know what the problem is. You don't even have to say it. And he goes, what's that? I said, they're all Baptists. That's the problem. We have a lot of Baptists in the group. And they said, that, that might be it. I said, because everybody just kind of stands there like this, not sure if I'm allowed to put my hand up or not, you know, that, that kind of half, I'm going to maybe praise God with that, raising the hand, but I don't want to it up too high and make people think I'm weird, you know, and so we, we don't want to clap, we don't want to do things like that, so it's okay, you can do whatever you want, I'm really okay with it, I'm not going to point you out, I shouldn't say that, I might not point you out, and so, um, you know, we're all different though, each of us worship in different styles, yeah, it, awesome thing this morning. We have uh, a 7th grader leading the worship over in the children's area today. Really excited about that and seeing what's going to happen there. Shelby Lafever. So that's exciting thing. All of us are different and all of us do different things. We like different foods. We have different hobbies. God created us different. We do have two things, each and every one of us though. We all have two things in common. Those two things in common we have is this. We're all born with a sin nature and all of us have sinned. That's the two things we all have in common with each other. The question is, today, Is Jesus enough? Because if you've been here in the last year and a half, you've heard me or a guest speaker who's filled in for me say that Jesus Christ came in the form of a man. He was God. He is God. And he came in the form of a man. He lived on this earth. He died a criminal's death and rose again, all to pay the penalty for our sins. But is that enough? Is Jesus enough? I mean, the simple Christian answer, if you've gone to church long enough, the answer is, of course. Of course, Jesus is enough. But, but, what about when we're trying to tell others about it? Do we live our lives, not just with our mouths, but do we live our lives like we actually believe that Jesus is enough? The word enough, full, complete, satisfied. This week I got to have a meeting, and this was a great meeting to have. I got to have a meeting at Tacanos. Has anybody ever been to Tacanos before? Mm. Tacanos is a Brazilian churrascaria, and it's where they come around and you pay kind of a buffet price, but instead of going to a buffet, they bring around huge skewers of all different kinds of meat and they just carve it off and put it on your plate for you. Yeah, you got to go there it 's that good, they have a salad bar i 'm not sure why, um, but you go and they, they carve it off for you, and uh, you know a little while back, you all know i 've been been a little larger in my life. Um, a little while back, I could put that away. I could get my money 's worth, and I was trying I was trying hard on Thursday to get my money 's worth. but there was a time when I was full. There was no more bites. They brought on the dessert plate, and that was just a bad idea because I really thought I was going to lose most of lunch, just just thinking about trying to eat eat dessert. But there's a point where you're just so full, you've just had enough that there's no room for anything else. My question is, is Jesus enough or is there room for something else? If you walk into most churches, I bet that you'd hear that Jesus is enough, that when all hope is lost, we have nothing left, Jesus is sufficient. He takes care of all those needs. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to solve our sin problem. And you know what? That teaching is right. But, but, how many of us actually live that way? How many of us actually live like Jesus is enough? How many of us are truly free in living a life that says to our neighbors that Jesus is enough? Think about it for just a second. Because when I look around me, and when I look at the life that I live... I'd have to say that's not the case. Even though I believe it, I'm not living it. I'd rather tack something onto it. Maybe you would too. Maybe it's so we can get a little bit of credit for the good things we do in our life. Maybe it's so we have that, well look what I did mentality and we can brag to others about it. We'd like to think that that was the the case. We'd like to think that we at least had some part in our salvation, right? I mean, my good works should count for something, shouldn't it? Internally, I think we, we think that Jesus isn't enough because it just doesn't sound logical. To put our full faith and complete trust in a person that lived 2,000 years ago that we've been told and we believe by faith that is and was God has it all sunk in do we really take that and say yeah this is the life that i choose to live this is the way i want it to be we start adding things we say you know it's jesus in our righteousness it's jesus in our good doctrine it's jesus in our moral resolve it's jesus in our tithing or our giving to charity It's Jesus in our not smoking, it's Jesus in the church that we go to, or it's Jesus in our quiet time. We want to add something. The problem is when we do that, we cheapen what God has done through Christ on the cross. We cheapen that. And that's a problem. Because what he did was, was absolutely and totally, completely full. But we decide on our own that our good intentions, were good enough, we start focusing on those instead of on God, and they become almost an idol to us. That I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I have whatever it is. We start comparing doctrines with others, and we have to be better than other people, and we have to go to church more times than other people. We have to give more, and that's okay. Um, Soon, it becomes a ritual instead of a relationship we talked about a couple of weeks ago that more than rules, it's more than rules that we get tied up into here. Is Jesus enough? You know, in the end, if we start living that way where we're so wrapped up in what is going on with us and our works, our religiosity, our desire to be religious makes us unhappy. And in the process of being unhappy, we start telling the world by the way we live that our Lord really isn't enough. And they say, why would I want to follow that Lord that you're following? I mean, look at your life. You know, I think people come to the realization that Jesus is enough. I think it's when bad times roll in. It's when situations get out of their control, when they hit rock bottom, when somebody gets sick, when financial troubles come, when issues arise between the family members. That seems to be when people finally say, yeah, you know what? It's not about how much money I gave in the plate because that didn't change whether or not I got cancer or my daughter got cancer or that the person got sick or that my f- parents are going through divorce. The amount of times we went to church didn't change that. But what does is Jesus. There's a uh, 15-year-old girl who will be turning 16 in November. She's a, a friend of our, uh, our family. Uh, I know her dad very well. Um, and uh, I actually know her aunt and uncles very well as, as well and her cousins. They had all gone through our youth group when we were in Phoenix. And we got word this last week, um, it's been a little over a week now, um, on Thursday of last week she she was not feeling well and they took her in. And I don't don't know the complete story on it all, but uh, she was having all sorts of pain, took her to the ER. They found a tumor on her pelvis. The tumor happened to be cancer after an MRI. Um, That cancer had spread from, it was stage four cancer which if you know anything, uh, stage five is, is the end. Um, stage four cancer, and it was in her bones as well as in her lungs. She was 15 years old. Um, it kind of blows you away to think those kind of things. And, and this is a great family. Been involved in church for as long as I've known them. And uh, they live in a little community outside of Phoenix called Anthem. It's a master plan community. And the town has come together to raise money. Worst thing is, is that the mom just lost her, um, just lost her medical insurance on top of everything else. Um, in the first week, you know, on Thursday they, they uh, found out, and by Sunday she already had a poured in and had her first chemo treatment. Um, that's how quickly they had to move with this. Um, if, and I pray that when she makes it through all of this, um, as soon as that that tumor shrinks down enough, she has to have a full hysterectomy, um, which means she's not going to be able to have children. Which I think from what I understand, every little girl dreams of someday of being a mom. And you take that away, and it, it's like, you know, how are you supposed to deal with that? I mean, when do you turn to God and say, God, what, what are you doing? This is a 15-year-old girl. Give it to some 80-year-old woman that doesn't have to worry about having kids. But you don't give it to a 15-year-old girl. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, we ask those questions, and, and, and when we look at ourselves and look at the things we've done, when we think that, well, maybe I've earned this, or maybe I deserve this, or I shouldn't earn this, or shouldn't deserve this because of what I've done. But that's not the way God works. And that's when we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? We have a tendency to try and add to Jesus something to equal everything. I want you to take just just a couple of seconds. Inside your bulletin there, this picture's on the front of it, or inside of it, I want you to fill in the blank. Jesus plus what equals everything? Jesus plus what equals everything? And if you want a bulletin, um, is actually heading over to grab some, Would you You can raise your hand and, and uh, we can pass one out to you. But Jesus plus what equals everything? And I'm going to go off a little bit on, on a side tangent that it isn't even really in my notes, but... We used to do this with the youth, and when you put that in the blank, when you fill that in right there, is that thing a tangible thing that can be taken away? Is that thing that you put in there something that can be taken away? If a flood were to come or a fire were to happen or sickness were to come, is that thing something that could be taken away? I want you to think about it because we put so much into other things to help us be, you know, satisfied in life when Jesus should be enough to satisfy us. I'd like to ask out loud and say, hey, what did you put in that blank? But I'm going to let that be between you and God because I want you to be honest. I don't want you to say, well, you know, I'm going to give the church answer and it's Jesus plus nothing because that's what the answer should be. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But what is it for us? What is it for you? As you're looking at that and as you're thinking about it, I want you to think about the perspective of how we live our lives. Because what's in that blank probably says loud and clear how you live your life. Because if it's Jesus plus nothing, you'll live your life according to that. But if it's Jesus plus your career, you know what your career is going to focus on. If it's Jesus plus your family, you know what that focus is going to be on. If it's Jesus plus the good things you do in your life, you're going to be focused on that. But it really is Jesus plus nothing. How do we change our mindset to be that way? Because I would bet, I'd be willing to bet that most of us in here, whether we're honest with ourselves, if we're truly honest with ourselves, would say that that blank isn't nothing, that there's something in that blank And when we look at it, and we think about it, how do we change the way that we are to live, not just talk, but live and walk with that perspective? Paul, who you know, wrote most of the New Testament, he had some interesting things to say about the way his life was. He wrote to the church in Philippians, or Philippi, in the book of Philippians, it says this, it says, to live in Christ and to die as gain. How do we have that attitude? How do we have the attitude of what he wrote to the Colossian church and what he believes about the one true Christ? He says this in Colossians 1, and this is in your bulletins as well if you don't have your Bible. Colossians 1, 15 20 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before everything else, and He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is the first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He reconciled everything to himself, and Paul understood this, that it was Christ's blood. There wasn't anything else that did it. But you know, one other thing that Paul wrote that has caught me as I did some studying, it really stood out to me this week. And that was in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is the one I've actually opened up to in your Bibles, but this is probably the most impressive writing that Paul talks about with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and, and, and Christ himself, and, and I'll give you a quick paraphrase of it. It, it. it starts in verse 22, but a quick paraphrase, basically, he's talking to all the, the people at the church, and he says, guys, you know, we've had, a, we've had a great run here. Things have been really, really good. I really enjoy it here. I have great friends here. Um... Everything that I could possibly want is right here. But, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is calling me elsewhere. And this has probably been the last time that I see you on this side of heaven. Because I don't know what's supposed to be ahead, but I do know that there is pain and torture and imprisonment where I'm going. That I know. And you know what? In Acts chapter 20 he did it. He went. He left Jerusalem. He left this place of comfort. He left this place of knowing things. He left this place of knowing people to go out into the unknown. That's not easy. That's not an easy thing for any one of us to do. But why did he do it? Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the finishing uh, for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. How do we get to that point where Christ is everything and I am nothing? Where Christ is everything and I am nothing. Then I'm okay giving up my life and my stuff for my God and shift my thinking from me to him. How do we get there? That's really what this fan, not a fan book has been all about. is switching from being a fan of Jesus to being a fully committed follower of Jesus. And over the last six weeks, we've talked about it. And over the last six weeks, you've heard me say it. And some of you have read the book. Now it's time to respond. Now it's time to respond. It's time to make that move or not. You have the choice. That's the beauty of it all. In, Paul, in, uh, in Acts chapter 20, this is where Paul started with it. It was the Spirit's leading. Acts chapter 20, verse 22 says, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I'm sorry, I had paraphrased that wrong. He was going to Jerusalem. But he, he was going there, and he was bound by the Spirit. How do you hear from the Spirit? I honestly believe it's through your quiet time. And just listening. But how many of us in here have an actual quiet time? I don't like quiet. There's an awkwardness to quiet. I'm not sure if you notice that. The only time I like it quiet is when I'm asleep. And even then, I think I talk in my sleep. I don't like quiet. Let's just practice it for a second. All right, that's long enough. That's just weird. It's just, you don't want to sit there, but... That is what we are called to do, and that is what we are asked to do, to put away the distractions. Because even in our quiet time, you can have quiet time in the car, driving to work, but yet what we do, we'll turn on the radio, we'll tinker on our phone, text while we're driving, do all those different things to create some sort of noise, some sort of distraction, because quiet isn't good enough. But when we put everything else aside, when we get the junk out, when we grow up to the point of understanding that our time is short and stuff is just stuff, it changes our whole mindset. And it clicks for us to know that when Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out that he, if he is the only one that you're hungry for. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out if he's the only one that you're hungry for. When you take everything else out, I don't know about you, but I like stuff. I've told you this before. I, I like stuff. I like the smell of new cars. I like the feel of new cars. I like all the toys on new cars. I like stuff. I like to be able to have a Blu-ray player instead of a DVD player because of picture quality. is just that much better. But do I need one? No, but I want one. You know, those are the things we go through. We play through that in our mind, and that goes for... Each of us in our own things, like I said, we're all different, and each of us have something that's bigger and better, and we want something bigger and better. My dad, love him. He came out after my surgery, and uh, one of the things he said, he said, well, you know, what you're going to have to do for, through the healing process and all that, you're, you're going to need a bigger TV, and I said, you're right, I am. <laughs> and uh, and he, he went out and he bought me a, a 46-inch uh, flat screen If you guys come over to my house, you're like, man, we're paying him too much. Nope, my dad bought it. Um, The uh, uh, 46-inch, it's it's got all the jazz, all the bells and whistles. It's 3D, and it's a cool 3D that you don't have to have the expensive glasses, just regular theater glasses, and it's great. I love it. I love it. About three weeks after he bought it for me, Sharp started advertising a 70-inch screen, and I'm like, Christy, maybe we should take this one back. It's still, (laughs) you know, and you go through those things in your mind. I just want the next bigger thing. But when we put all that stuff aside, when we realize that all that stuff is going to rust and end up in a garbage pile someday, somewhere, what's going to be left? Jesus. And he should be the only thing we're really hungry for. When we understand that, when we understand that he's the only thing we're really hungry for, that's when we go from being a fan to a fully committed follower. Or if we realize that and decide not to make a choice, that's when we stay exactly where we're at. Remember when we were talking about in week one i 'm not sure how many of you guys remember this it 's been six weeks, but in week one, we talked about Jesus had this this following of people, and they all sat down on this hillside and, uh, and they were all hungry and the kid with the, the loaves and the fish came up and, and Jesus multiplied it to feed the five thousand plus people that were there and how amazing of a miracle that was and afterwards he, he went off and went to the other side of the lake and People woke up the next morning, noticed he was gone, and they all wanted to have their needs met, so they, they ran and followed out behind him, and when they found him, he kind of said, hey guys, you know what, um, I met your physical needs, but now I want to meet your spiritual needs, and this is what we need to talk about. You need to understand what this is, and, and we're going to talk about something a little bit more unpleasant and start talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and, and a bunch of people got up and left, and when I say a bunch, I mean all, except for 12 And when the 12 were still sitting there, the 12 disciples remained, Jesus asked if they wanted to leave too. And Simon Peter's response was this, in verses 68 and 69 of chapter 6 of John. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I mean, Peter's answer really sums it up right there. It really sums it up that the one question that really could ask a thousand other questions. Who could lead us to someone like you? Who could lead us like you can? Who can teach us with wisdom like yours? Who could possibly bring us closer to God? Why would we ever want to leave the Messiah? Who else is worth following compared to you? How could we ever find somebody else? How do we get to that mindset? After the Spirit's prompting, you go back to Acts 20, we see... Paul, in that same verse 22 of Acts chapter 20, it says, I don't know what awaits me. I don't know what awaits me. There is a certain uncertainty that comes with the Holy Spirit's leading. We don't know the details. We don't know the details. We don't know what's going to happen next. We have no idea. But that's where faith comes in. It's a huge step of faith. You know, Maybe you're one of those guys that's in here, I've never had to worry about this, but you're one of those people that is really smart. And you have that Jesus plus something equals everything, and that something is your knowledge. When you come to the realization that there's a certain uncertainty that's out there, that knowledge kind of goes out the window, because if you really think logically, if you really think about it in, in... And more than just faith speaking, it's hard stuff to believe. If you kind of think about it in a worldly sort of way, if you didn't grow up in church, this idea of putting your faith in somebody who lived 2,000 years ago, that's a difficult thing to wrap your mind around. But when you really know Jesus is Lord, you don't want to leave him. When you really know Jesus is Lord, you don't want to leave him. See, fans... They'll bail out when Jesus' teaching gets difficult. When he asks them to sacrifice, when he asked them to take up their cross, when he asked them to die to themselves. Fans, they take off. And it's kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about that idea of the comfortable cross. Why did they take off? Well, we prefer comfort. We prefer comfort. Flip back again to Acts chapter 20 and verse 23. After Paul says, I don't know... What awaits me, I don't know what to expect. He said, "Except that the Holy Spirit tells me, in city after city, the jail and suffering lie ahead." Jail and suffering lie ahead. I know that, but I'm going to do it anyway. See, when the Spirit prompts us, we understand there's a certain uncertainty, but there is one thing we know is there's going to be resistance. There's going to be resistance. That resistance is going to come from our friends. That resistance is going to come from our family. That resistance is going to come from our neighbors. And you know what that resistance is going to come from? Us. We're going to fight with ourselves. We are going to fight with ourselves. It's like swimming up a river. There's going to be resistance. And I think the reason why there's resistance is because we really do question if Jesus is enough. Because honestly, I think if Christians were guaranteed a ticket to heaven, if they had full assurance and knew exactly that Christ was who he says he was and is who he says he is, it would change our mindset. If they were completely and 100% positive that following Jesus, and I mean 100% positive, that following Jesus would lead to an eternity of worship and bliss and all the things that come with heaven, I think it wouldn't be a, a problem. I don't think it'd be hard for people to... to Follow the difficult teachings if they knew that were the case. If all of us knew and believed that Jesus was Lord, I think approach, our approach to sharing our faith would be different as well. But the thing is, is we don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. And I know that sounds weird, but listen to what I said. What do you wish for with God? Don't you wish that he would just lay it all out so we can see it? Don't you wish that he would just pull back the clouds and say, I am here. This is my son. He died. Now you guys have seen it. Now you don't have to worry about that faith thing as much. It's all here. Let me just prove it to you. Don't you wish that he would do that? I mean, there's lots of days that I wish it. Especially when I'm dealing with some moron that just really needs Jesus. Just wish God would open up and say, "See, look, look, there he is, right there." But the thing is, is we have to we have to live a life that's not like that. And you know what? It wasn't it wasn't like that for the original disciples because sometimes we say, "Well, if I was an original disciple and I walked with Jesus and I saw the things that He did, maybe it would change." Well, that that's true. They did get to see the miracles. They did get to see him in action, but they still had to make the choice whether to believe that he was the Messiah or not. That was their choice, and they had to believe it fully and completely because their lives were on the line. As a matter of fact, if you look through the 12 disciples, other than Judas, who took his own life, almost every single one of them had their lives taken by a sword, or a spear, or some form of martyrdom, stoning. They had to make a decision that said, I am a complete and total follower of Christ. Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says, but my life is worth nothing to me. My life is worth nothing to me, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the lord jesus christ he had a passion for jesus that was a selfless passion a selfless passion we tend to think about ourselves a lot i know i do i shouldn't say we because i don't want to lump you into that if you don't but i i'm pretty bad at it i like i like thinking about myself my wife almost didn't marry me because i had a pretty big ego okay i'm just gonna be honest with you i know you don't see that now but 13 years ago i i changed a lot since then the, the idea of me is a good idea. And I think you could probably say the same thing. Not about me, about you. I mean, you can say it about me, that's fine. But, um, you know, we get caught up in our own stuff. We get caught up in our own stuff. And when we're listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and we understand there's certain uncertainty, and there's going to be this predictable resistance... We have to have the selfless passion that says, I'm going to get beyond that. I'm going to take that next step, and I'm just going to, I'm going to push forward. And it's not about the doing part of it either. It's about obeying. I don't want you to get confused with that. I don't remember a whole lot of things when I was in youth group, when I was a kid, but there was one message that's always stood out to me, and it's it stuck with me forever. And the title of it, I never, will never forget. It's God is Coming Soon, Look Busy. And that's one that's always stuck with me. And the funny thing is, is, that's exactly true. God is coming soon. But it's not about looking busy. It's about following Christ. And if that's what it takes to look busy, that's great. But don't just wander around, you know, because I remember when I was, a, anytime my boss would walk by, and you guys probably all experience this, as soon as they walk by, you're like, oh, i got to find something. I've going to, you know, do something, anything. I had a cartoon that was on my wall. It's been there forever. And I think I've told you about it before, but it's got the boss coming at the desk and he's like, why aren't you doing anything? He goes, well, I didn't see you coming. You know, it's, uh, it's that mentality. It's, it's not about just looking busy. It's about being busy in following Christ. God's coming back soon. We don't know the day, but what's important is that we know his name. That we know his name. We don't know the day he'll t- return. We don't know... When our health might fail. We don't know when our finances might plummet. We don't know the day will die. But the great thing is, is that we do know Jesus' name and that it is enough. It is enough. And it's a process that takes us from the Spirit's leading on through to this selfless passion. And it's not something that we can just, it's going to click today, but it's going to happen. And we have to let it happen. And we have to continue to listen and continue to let Him lead and be willing to follow and be willing to put ourselves aside and all the earthly junk that we try and collect that, you know what, is going to be worthless. It really is. How many of you guys, be honest now, you who are over 30 had quite the cassette collection one day? Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a lot of you in here that spent a lot of money on cassettes. And someday we're going to say that about CDs. Spent lots and lots of money and have huge carriers and all kinds of stuff. And now what are they worth? Diddly can't even find a cassette player unless you're at an old Baptist church and there's one back in the back closet. That's just the way it happens. We get so wrapped up in stuff and we need to get past that and we need to understand, we need to understand that there's a, there's a process in our lives. And I, I just want to explain it to you because really what happens is it goes from, from about me to about we to about God. And if you give me just a couple more minutes, I want to explain that to you just real fast. Because this first level, this about me, it says that I'm good. It really says, I'm the one. I'm the, I'm the one this is all about. And I'm going to live my life that way. The enemy that we have, when, we have that, when we're on this level, the enemy that we have is everyone. The reason why we have that for everyone is because we're always competing with everyone else. This goes in a church setting, this goes in a home setting, this goes in a business setting. It's about you, you want to succeed, everybody else is out to get you, so you have to hate everybody else. This is the bad place to be at. And you know, if we were to put it into our whole thinking here, it's, it's really about us making a name for ourselves. It's about us making a name for ourselves, and in the process, we don't care whose name we ruin. We want to have a name for ourselves. And if you were to put it in that equation at the beginning, it's a lot of me plus nothing equals everything. Or a lot of me plus a little bit of Jesus equals everything. Some of you in this room are in this place right now. This is the level where you're at. This is the level we have to get out of. This is the worst of all the levels. Now the second level, level two, It switches from being all about me to all about we. All about we. And this is leaps and bounds ahead of the first level. This is probably where most of us in here are at. The all about we level. We're worried about little, there's not as many enemies. Actually, the only enemies we have are the, the people that are out there that are against us, because we, as a group, are good. We are good. Not I'm good, we're good. This church is good. It's doing good things. I enjoy coming on Sunday mornings. We are good. Do you see what we do? Look at all the programs that we have. Look at all the things that we do. And the only people that are our enemy are the people that don't agree with us. The outside opposition. This is a better place to be than the first level because it's all about we and it's all about making a difference. But it's not where we should be. It's better than the first level, but there's a third level and this is where we all should be at. It's about God. It's no longer that I'm good or that we're good. It's that God is good. And that's a big change for us in thinking and the direction that we take our lives because now the only enemy that we have the only enemy that we have is Satan himself and that predictable resistance that's going to be there at this level it's no longer about us it's when we say I consider my life nothing I consider myself nothing and it's no longer about making a name for myself and it's not even about making a difference it's about making history it's about making history I think about the people in my life that have brought me to where I'm at they were doing more than just making a difference they were making history Scott and Kathy Zener told you about them before Two volunteer junior high youth workers working with seven junior high kids, me included. Man, I just, I don't know how they did it. I honestly don't. But because they took time and invested in me on Sunday mornings, it changed everything. And Paul and Elaine Hendricks, because they invested in me and went to camp with me and paid for me to go to that camp and led me to the Lord that week, more than making a difference. They're making history because I don't think I'd be standing here today without them or without my grandfather who made sure I came to church every Sunday as much as I hated it, as much as I looked for every excuse to get out of it. He made sure I was there. He was the one that would come over and wake me up in the morning, make me put on my corduroy pants because I wasn't allowed to wear jeans. And he made sure that I was doing, and not only did he make sure, but he lived a life that was an example in front of me, by reading his Bible, by doing things that were an example of of a faith that he believed in, not just using words, but using actions to go behind those words, and it makes history. And you, you have no idea the effect that you might have on your neighbor. You might have no idea about the effect that you have on your classmates in school, your coworkers, because the life change that could happen with them, they could become the next Billy Graham. You don't know. I don't know. Who are we to be the ones that stand in the way of making history? When it's all about God and we get ourselves out of the way and we get the we out of the way, it changes everything. I'll be honest with you. I was really excited this morning. I sent out an email last week and said, hey, we, we don't have a whole lot of people coming and setting up in the morning. And I understand because it's early. Next week, like I said... Time change, all of you should be here, it'll be great. But I sent out an email and we had a, a bunch of new people show up and say, hey, how can I help? That's the great spirit of a, a church plant, in all honesty, is how many people want to help. But maybe setting up and tearing down isn't your thing. There's a whole list of things inside your bulletin of areas that you can help at. I know that right now our children's leaders, there's a, there's a three-week schedule of rotating people to teach love to have that to four to five weeks so if you're interested in working with you know the kindergarten through sixth grade we'd love to have you meet up with laura and you only have to teach once a month or if you're on a five-week schedule less than that love to have you be over there maybe you're one of those really smiley people that people don't like in the morning um but you're that smiley person that you can stand over there at the welcome center and greet people and say hey we are really glad you're here love to have you be that person work on a rotation with that Or work and help out making the coffee. Just do something. And I know that you're thinking, well, how is making a coffee making history? You never know how you're going to affect somebody. When we're serving God, God uses some crazy, crazy ways to reach out to people. Some things that we would never even understand. But I want to challenge you that as you've maybe been coming and been sitting and you've just been a part of what we're doing in the fashion of being part of the congregation, take that next step. That it's not about me and it's not about we, but it's about God and about making history and reaching out to people who don't know Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And I thank you for this wonderful morning that you gave us. Just great weather and an opportunity for sunshine and be able to focus on you, to look at your creation, to look at one another and understand That God, you created all of this. And not only did you create all of this, Lord, but you love it, and you love us. When we think about the things that Jesus did while he was here on earth, most of all, the fact that he died for our sins and rose again. There's somebody in here that may not know that. There's somebody in here that may be struggling with that. Their knowledge is getting in the way, or their thoughts of Jesus plus something has to get me into heaven. But God, we know that's not the case. That God, it was by your grace, the grace that you poured out on us, that it changed our lives. It wasn't because we were good, because we're not good, we're sinners. It wasn't because this church is good, because everything that this church has done is because of what you have blessed us with. It's all about you. and Help us to get to that thinking in our process. Bring us to that next level. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Guys, I do thank you for being here this morning, and um, I want to, I want to offer, um, I hate to say my services, but I'd love just to pray with you. Maybe you're struggling with this, because it, it was something that throughout this week is one of those things that you get to hear it for 35, 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. I get to deal with it all week long, and have it continually kick me in the gut and say, hey, you need to get off the... The, the me about competing with everyone you need to get up the we and, and comparing yourself to other churches you need to be about God and let him do it and that's that's a difficult place to get to and I'd love to pray with you if you're dealing with those same difficulties that I was and still am just to have God give you the strength to get through I'm going to step back to the back as we sing these last two songs